holding pocket. It's time now for the chipping forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell, and special guest Ian Carter. Hello again and welcome to the chipping forecast, or should I say the weather forecast. Uh, I'm Andrew Cotter. How come that gets applause and I get crickets for much funnier jokes? No, but see, the, the terrible joke that I'm making it knowing that it's a terrible joke and putting in the sort of rather feeble clapping and laughter makes it funny. See, I'll do it again, the delivery. Hello again, welcome to the chipping forecast. <laughs> or should I say the weather forecast? <laughs> I'm Andrew Cotter, now back at home after a drive down a flooded M53, M56 last night. It was unbelievable. It was, um, there was a car, there were cars aquaplaning on the, on the motorway and, um, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary, dramatic. But that kind of tells you what the weather was like on the final day of the Open. I think, um, We'll get into it a little bit more, but anyway, Ian, where are you? You look. I thought you were going to be in the media centre. Is this your? Is this your little compact and bijou Mostyn flat by the course? It, it is. Yes. Yeah. If I look out the window to my left, I can see lots of corporate type people coming down the second uh, on the. They always have a bit of a patrons' day, don't they? Mm-hmm. The day after, so people are playing in beautiful sunshine. Uh, first thing this morning, we're recording obviously Monday morning. And um, yeah, it was a great location to be what, to be staying this week. What do corporate type people look like coming down the fairway? Bowler hats. You, no one knows better than you what corporate type people look like on a golf course, Andrew. You Good don't people. need to explain. Good people, honest, strong people. Eddie, are you still in Ibiza? No, no, I'm home. Uh, I got home on Friday, I think, from memory. Talking of the weather, it was hot in Ibiza, but um, I don't know if you saw the open zone. Once it, once the tournament had finished uh, yesterday, I tuned into the open zone, and I've got to say it was an hour of brilliant television with David Howell, Simon Holmes, and Josh Outman, but the weather was abysmal. I mean, it was such a shame that the tea times were brought forward because if that weather had come in for the last hour of the open, or it would have been carnage. Well, that was it, because as we're leaving, so outside on Mel's Drive, there was flooding. Uh, all the, the roads, the driveways of the houses were getting flooded. If they had been, if it had gone any later, they wouldn't have been able to get that played because there was standing water starting to appear on the course as well. And we got a message during commentary, and Ian probably got it as well, that they, they were considering that if it went to a playoff, they were going to make it three holes instead of four holes. And so they knew what was what was coming in. I mean, it was bad during the day, but it, um, just after they finished, it was even worse. The the presentation looked. <laughs> uh, they didn't hang around out there. I think Brian Harmon had maybe been told to 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 keep it short in his speech as well. He didn't do a full Tom Lehman in nineteen ninety six, but it was uh, it was short. It was sweet. It was uh, it was. I mean, it, the whole thing Ian was. It was such a shame for a course that. And Hoylake has has never been top of my list of the open courses, but I thought it was absolutely superb this week. And knowing how the weather has been in this neck of the woods through May and June was just glorious. And then to get that for the final day of the open, when it it would have looked so good, the sun over the D estuary and everything, and just uh, the, the setup of the course, I thought was perfect. It, it was such a shame. Yeah, I think the course was set up fantastically and and actually it grew on me as a as an open venue like you andrew it's never been kind of someone asked me um where where would you rank this and i sort of said well i'd i'd equate it to kind of like the aston villa of the premier league in terms of if you had a premier league of of open courses sort of just sort of mid-tably um and i actually thought it was it was set up brilliantly i like the strategy that was needed um, off the tee, uh, I thought the greens were fantastic, and you know, I I walked round two, three, and four with with Brian Harmon, so that is commentating on a lot of waggles. But my goodness, what a performance! What a performance! And uh, his strategy was just sensational. He only went in two bunkers, and that's that's three the bunkers. key. 
Was it three? He went on the one on the on the last last hole. Well, saw. I only saw him going two bunkers, watching fifty four holes with him. That that was the point I was making, and um, you know that's that's what they say. You you have to you you have to avoid the bunkers at Hoylake. And I mean, there's so much to get into the fact that they had to change the bunkers after the first round because they were too penal. There's so many talking points out of this open. Eddie, you were you were tweeting away during the open. I love the fact that you were watching it and enjoying it as well. You know, because you, you you're going to get back into open championships, but when you don't get into one, you you sit there and watch it and um, seem to seem to enjoy it. Yeah, well, the open is uh, probably my favourite tournament in the world to play, but also maybe to watch that with the Ryder Cup and and the Masters and the US Open when it's um, brutal. But I I I thought it was a great. Uh, course as well and a great venue to to your point I, I suppose watching it you know talking of bunkers I was um a little surprised how many times the, the longer hitters like Rory and John were actually seemingly just bombing driver more often than not left over bunkers and the rough didn't look as penal as I maybe would have hoped it, it would be in that occasion but I guess that just shows that those bunkers were in play for Brian uh Harmon and and he still managed to avoid them and win by six so it just goes to show the level of his game and he was far, far superior to anyone else, really, uh, that was that was at the top of the leaderboard. I have to say, um, last night we went for dinner in West Kirby. And uh, lo and behold, as we're sitting having our, our dinner, who walks in? And the first thing that we realised, someone was was standing waiting for a, for a table and he was carrying a bright silver trophy. Uh, it was Brian Harmon. Akshay Bhatia, uh, <laughs> after winning the Barracuda. And it was, uh, and Brian Harmon came and he stood and he waited and, and obviously it was a, a massive sort of flurry. Oh God, Brian Harmon's here. And a lot of people sort of went rushing over and got selfies with him. He did it, he's smiling, um, did all the, the selfies. And I have to say that was the, the most warmth I'd seen sort of directed in his, in his direction, directed in his direction. That's good. Um, in in the entire three day, I mean, I did the walk for, right behind him. I suddenly thought, oh my god, I'm probably on Sky right now. I was walking from the 17th to the and BBC TV highlights, mm. um, and I was walking from the 17th to the 18th, and like there was a bit of now that Andrew, you know what it's like. In, Eddie, you do. You've been in the middle of of Open Championships, and you're walking from from greens to tees at the top of the leaderboard, it's tumultuous. I mean, this was, there was no noise whatsoever. I know it's difficult when you're holding an umbrella, but no one's shouting, no one. And it it was a very warm reception he got on, on 18. But up to that point, it was felt almost embarrassing. Yeah. Was that Andre's restaurant, by the way, in West Kirby? Is that, that is the restaurant? No, no, it wasn't. Appropriately enough, it was an American meat joint. Oh, God. And... Brian delivered the meat at the back door. Hickories. Uh, oh, yes, I know hickories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right on the bend there. Hickories. Um, yes, so there are a couple of things on on that. And, Eddie, again, you, you'll have watched a lot of the golf. So, the you know, and he mentioned it in his press conference, Brian Harmon. There was a guy in the second round who said, you don't have the stones for this. There was, a guy, there was booing when he was announced on the first tee yesterday. Not by many people. There was somebody on the 10th hole trying to get in the, I'll miss it. Someone shouted, get in the bunker. And then there was a response on the 10th from lots of other fans saying, shut up to this this guy, this couple of fans. There were some fans out there. Now, there are 260,000 for the week. And they, you know, I don't know how many of them, 99.3% of them were superb. And I love seeing crowds like that out for the open. It shows to me how popular um, golf is still. And... There were some idiots out there. My God, there were some idiots out there. And, the, the you know, wanting Tommy Fleetwood to win, wanting Rory McIlroy to win, whatever it might be, that doesn't excuse what was being shouted out there. But but also, it was the general nonsense after each and every tee shot and drive and save us from the idiots. And we used to, you know, laugh at the Americans shouting, what well, started with get in the hole, and then it was Baba Booey, and then it was light the candle. And now it's over here, and it's just, just, Pissed up blokes making noise. Um, Did we get an email about it, Andrew? Andrew? Uh, oh, there was an email came in about it. I thought this was sort of, um, yeah, there was an email came in about this. Hang on a second. It was, uh, I know it was from, I've got it here, it was from Andrew Clark. Um, Andrew Clark. From, uh, Woodbridge in, in Suffolk or Woodbridge, Suffolk. Um, 
but here he talked exactly about this right uh fan behavior and actually interestingly he also brought up the uh the lord's long room with what we saw happen a few weeks ago there which you wouldn't have expected um and i agree with you andrew it's not something we associate with these great championships in these sports but you're not being we're not being prudish about it are we it's not it's not that it's just but there's nothing you can do about it because I watched some guy staggering down Mel's Drive yesterday through the flooded driveways and the police came over to chat to him because he he couldn't stand up and he was holding on to the, the fence behind the fourth green and they asked him if he was okay and he sort of waved them away in the confident way that absolutely hammered blokes do and then he just sort of uh, he, he just sort of swayed a little bit and <laughs> just crumpled to the heap on the pavement. Um, I think he's okay. I mean, he might still be there. I'm not sure. But, you know, that's what happens at sporting events now. And it seems to me, since COVID, it seems to be worse. I don't know what the... Was that one of the corporate folk? <laughs> no, because you can tell corporate folk. Well, yeah, it happens. It, it happens. Yeah, I don't know. People just seem to be cutting loose a bit more since the, the great release back into the, back into the open. But I just wish it, I wish it weren't like that. And an interesting sort of commentary detail is that it's changed the way you do commentary because you cannot immediately after the hit say anything like oh this is right or mm, not sure about this whatever whatever line you think about coming out with immediately after the hit and sometimes you just leave it because you cannot get in there now because there is just a, a, a chorus of 20 halfwits all cancelling each other out with light the candle and there was i mean and there was worse stuff because shubanka sharma hit a tee shot in the sixth and some guy just shouts out chicken tikka and there was you know and this will get this will get our uh, producer ollie on the bleak button because brooks kepka hit the tee shot and someone just bellows usa mother <laughs> for people standing around these people who just want to watch the golf and enjoy the golf you just want you want, i'll tell you what you want you want brian Harmon to be stalking them through the woods of Georgia um, in his camel gear and just take them out. Um, I just, I, with his bow and arrow. With his bow and arrow. And oh, God. I, uh, anyway, so that, that I have very much against Brian Harmon, but I have more against some of the, some of the people who are, at the, who are at the Open. And again, a minority of people, but it's like in life, it's the loud idiot minority who you hear quite a lot of the time. Andrew's finished. You finished your rant now. I mean, Eddie, I, I, it's, it strikes me we've got two things here. One, obviously, Andrew. I, I, I'll be honest. I was out on the golf course, and for every tee shot, we're two hundred and fifty yards away. So, thankfully, I wasn't hearing that kind of nonsense. I was looking for where the balls were landing. But then I'd be up at the green when balls were 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 arriving there, and the the reception was just so muted for Brian Harmon all the way through. I think it was because people were thirsting for a contest and he was killing it stone dead. But an appreciation of the quality of the golf he played, I mean, my goodness, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think part of this um, points to an even, a bigger problem that we we're all facing with sports and consumption generally is that people, I mean, his win seemingly was unpopular. But if you look at it, you know, from a from a sporting purely sporting perspective, it was a tremendous performance that is deserving of admiration. And like I tweeted yesterday, if that had been Rory or Ram, we would have had heart palpitations. And I think I saw another tweet from some guy who I follow, who, who I respect greatly, and and he was saying this is a problem with modern sport in the media environment that we're in. It's not entertaining enough, and and to me, that's a real problem because if we cannot appreciate what we saw Brian Harmon achieve these last four days, then we cannot achieve, we cannot appreciate the true soul and nature of great performance in a game like sport. It might be slower. It might be longer. It might not be as entertaining or as, you know, get your juices flowing in the 30 minutes that everyone wants these days. But at the end of the day, it was a great performance that, that warranted huge respect. And I, and I think the lack of it that I saw on social media and clearly at the event on television and you guys were there, and have just referenced it. I think it's just very sad, and as a reflection of where we're at as a society with our attitude towards sport these days. Yeah, I lay, I lay in bed last night, and I went through every open from I've, I've seen thirty, forty. But I went back to nineteen seventy-seven and thought of them all the way through. And I, 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 I couldn't think of an open championship which was um, sort of less appealing as a contest, 
but and but that's not to that's because of the brilliance of Brian Harmon, and that's not you know you here's a good stat, and this is from Justin Ray, and interestingly you'll follow Justin Ray, I'm sure Ian as well, and Justin Ray on Twitter. I'm a hundred percent with Justin Ray on this. He had a rant on Twitter last night because every time he comes up with a great stat, it's within about a minute it appears as a TV graphic, or it's passed off by everybody else without crediting him at all and he just had an epic rant i've got, I've got i want I, I just want to read a little bit justin ray is the god of all stats on twitter golf stats on twitter justin ray last night and he said afterwards he'd had a few beers but he, he, this was heartfelt and genuine shout out to the hundreds of people stroke businesses stroke publications that used my work today and all year at the men's majors but never credited it and passed it off as their own because of laziness stroke inability you all write broadcast for a living capitals and just extract one person's work, pretend it's something you concocted, lazily ignoring the extensive work another man or woman did to generate this piece of data. Say it as your own question mark. Your byline is a lie. At least 50% of these writers equal, and it's a trash can emoji. So Justin Ray, <laughs> it puts out all these brilliant stats. So we are fully crediting Justin Ray. Give him a follow on Twitter if you want your golf stats. The one I want to just highlight here from uh, Justin Americans who have won the Open by six shots or more. Bobby Jones, Walter Hagen, Arnold Palmer, Johnny Miller, Tiger Woods, and now Brian Harmon. So that puts into context what he's done in winning by six shots. Going out in the final round of the Open, in those conditions, and Brian Harmon said he's not a particularly good wet-weather player, going out with a five-shot lead in the final round of the Open, winning by six. That's astonishing. The amazing thing and the thing that I struggled with, and I think we all kind of struggle with it, it's it's Brian Harmon who's done this. Brian Harmon. I was saying on the radio last night, you know when, um, and you, you'll know this, Andrew, you, you do an update on the radio and you've got 20 seconds, and you would say who the leader is, who's closest, and you'd say, and in the group at five under three behind, there's Rory McIlroy and John Rahm, but that group will probably have four or five names in it. And Brian Harmon would be one of them. And Brian Harmon would be one of the names that you would just leave out because no one's interested. You know, he's someone who serially finishes in the top 10, never wins, uh, is Mr. Middle of the Road of Golf. That, those names again, those, those winners, Andrew, that, that Justin Ray unearthed of the, the great, great Americans who've won majors by six shots. And then you say Brian Harmon at the end. And this is not me. Um, uh, disrespecting Brian Harmon. I'm just saying where he stays in the firmament of the game or did stay in the firmament of the game. And at the age of 36, he puts in a performance like that. And to me, I really wrestled with this over the last couple of days as to what does this all mean? And, and the only thing I can think is what it means is that the strength in depth and the quality of the competition in world golf right now is just so deep. We've had two major winners, consecutive major winners, who no one would have picked beforehand, even though they were winners or, or trending going into those tournaments, Wyndham Clark and now Brian Harmon. It's frightening, isn't it? Just the level of talent that is there. And that was as good a golf as I've ever watched over those last three days. And it came from Brian Harmon. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying? My view on this is that like all top sport, it needs to tread the line to, to generate genuine interest. It needs to tread the line between too much dominance on one side, like we've see, seen in tennis and Formula One, which is a turnoff. But also on the other side, when you have such an open field, it's very difficult to get behind the stars because the stars just don't win regularly enough. And I think golf, obviously, due to its nature, naturally with the size of the field, suffers from that very phenomena. And we've seen that in the last two majors. I think you've just perfectly described it with Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon. And unfortunately, you know, because it's not Rory, because it's not John Rahm, often enough for our liking, we feel a certain way. And that, and that is probably, uh, it's to our fault. It's a reflection of our own, you know, whatever you want to call it. But um, it's it's a shame. But that is thing, the thing that needs to be respected here. And this is the, the nature of professional golf. And I, you know, Brian Harmon was 26th in the world. I mean, you know, that's still very, very good standard to your point, Ian, before winning the Open. So it's not like he's, you know, 200th in the world. He's 26th. That's that's a very good player. Well, that's why it's not a, a, a 
It's not a Todd Hamilton situation or a, a Ben Curtis situation because they were not as highly ranked as that. It just, I suppose, it's because it was a blowout as well in terms of competition. That's why when I when I was um, when I was lying there awake and going through <laughs> my every open from 1977, fun times I have um, that I couldn't think of one. Louis Eustace in 2010 at St Andrews, which was a bit of a blowout in terms of that was a bit of a procession. But I suppose it was St Andrews and the weather wasn't. Too shabby. So if you can think, if you are lying awake in bed and you can think of an open championship which has been sort of less compelling in terms of a contest, then please give us a call. 01 8055. You know what that number is, Ian? Uh, it's vaguely it's, it's vaguely familiar, but uh, the morning after the Open, sorry, no. Yeah. Uh, it was Swap Shop, Multicolored Swap oh, Shop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Saturday Superstore, they took that number as well. Do those names of programmes mean anything to Eddie, Swap Shop and Saturday Superstore? No, they mean nothing, but I'm, I'm just going to have a quick rant myself. Um, we, we were talking about the commentary. We were talking about everything we've just spoken about. This is talking of laziness and Justin Ray brought that up. You know, the commentary teams that are on television, and this isn't directed at you necessarily, Andrew, because I know you do your research, but they should have enough information on Brian Harmon so that when he's leading the Open by five or six shots, they can generate a genuine narrative that's interesting and that provides the audience, myself included, that makes us interested in his story. But because we are so infatuated with just three or four guys in the game of professional golf, the people that are that are there to provide entertainment on the television for us do not have the ability to to give the viewers, in my opinion, that experience. And that is a failure on their part. And I hope this is a lesson. You know, people need to be doing their research to Justin Ray's point and and giving us the viewers the the, the narratives and the stories that are behind his game because it is interesting. That level of performance is interesting. And we should know more about his coaching from Justin Parsons, his background, everything he does. Uh, I, I think that's a failure on the part of the, 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 you know, commentary team. Yeah. Yeah. Other commentary teams. Yeah. So he was, he was a standout, standout. I mean, he played twice in the Walker Cup, which he was destined for great things. And it, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't quite happen. And then he's, he's, he's been there for a long time. And as you say, he's, you know, 54-hole leader at Aaron Hills when Brooks Kepka won his first major um, in 2017. But uh, I'm not just giving you sort of stats about uh, about Brian Harmon. Everyone knows stuff about Brian Harmon now. But you're right. Sometimes I would say in defence of the of the TV commentary teams is that they don't have enough time on the shot to talk about it because it, it, at the open it goes shot change, shot change, shot change. But then, of course, when you're seeing a lot of Brian Hammer in the final round, then you can go deeper into his backstory. I suppose that's uh, that's the point. Just to argue against myself there, this is also the problem of professional golfing, that there's so many guys that can do it. If this was Formula One and it's 20 drivers, it's much easier to get an in-depth knowledge of, of the 20 drivers, right? And it's very difficult to do that in golf. So I'm arguing against myself there. But I just think still there needs to be a better balance of it all. Yeah, they stack shots up, you see, and and then and then hammer them out. Uh, and in particular, when you're watching on Sky and you're watching in the night uh, in the states, you'll have ad breaks. So they'll put in the ad breaks, and then they'll come back, and then they've got a lot of catching up to do. So they go very quick, shot change, shot change, shot change, and it becomes just a series of of shots with very little before the hit and very little after the hit. And just as you start to say something about that that player, they'll head off to Colin Morikawa on the seventeenth, and it's. Uh, it's very difficult to commentate because we commentate for highlights for the two-hour highlight program in the evening. We commentate all day, um, but you've got to give clean edit points on each shot, so you can't talk over the the shot changes. It becomes quite uh, quite fiddly. Getting technical on you there. But Eddie's absolutely right. You know, it was abundantly clear, uh, not just yesterday, but also on Saturday, that Brian Harmon was the story. And he was either going to go on and win his first major or he was going to capitulate. But either way, he was going to be the story. So you need to, you know, I I, I had pages of notes on, on him because I knew I was I was covering him and it's different on the radio and we don't have to worry about the pictures being stacked up. But you're trying desperately to create a character that people can then become invested in eddie's absolutely right and you 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 know you've got to be it's all about telling stories ultimately and how well does golf do that into in the broadcast environment i'm not sure i agree you know you're stacking up shot after shot after shot after shot you've got to make people care about these people 
Do you remember, um, well, in 2003, in Ben Curtis, when Mark Pugach uh, was commentating with us, because he used to commentate in the golf with us as part of the radio team, and he was sent out in the final day with a Ben Curtis group, and he was thinking, well, this is, this is a dud, I'm, I'm going to get nothing, I'm going to have a quiet day, eating ice cream, just wandering around. And uh, suddenly Ben Curtis, when Thomas Bjorn did what he did on the 16th, suddenly he was there, and, and Mark Pugach, no, no, he got sent to that group, he got sent to join that group. Um, because his group hadn't been doing anything, and he was on the he was on the talk back to the producer, saying, "Tell me everything you know about Ben Curtis." And you look in the players' guide, and it says Ben Curtis, zero there. But then, now was it him or was it Todd Hamilton? The following year, where we found out where he came from, we spoke to the mayor of that town. That was Todd Hamilton. That was, that was Todd Hamilton. Yeah, Todd Hamilton. We found out that there was a story about that town where there was a mound in the town square where an elephant had been buried. Yeah. And so we said, well, what a great story. We're going to talk to the mayor of the town where Todd Hamilton's from about this amazing story of him. And he said, well, there was an elephant and it, it died and we buried it. <laughs> and that was the story. Right. Oh, okay. We got nominated for an award for that, didn't we? Not for that particular story, but I think for that. No, coverage. but that was yeah. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so there we go. Finding out the backstories, finding out that Brian Harmon likes to, Likes to kill animals a lot, so that a lot of people were seizing on that, weren't they? And Americans can't quite can't quite grasp why we were talking about it so much. Um, Harmon, the butcher of Hoylake, and the hunter becomes the hunted, and everything because American golfers, and if you're from the South, if you're from Georgia, and if you're from a golfing background, you're invariably going to be from the background that likes a bit of hunting as well. So I was hoping that an elk or a boar would, would take him out in the course in a revenge mission, but um, that's just because that's the way I'm inclined towards animals. But um, but it's just a perfectly normal thing over there. Listen, obviously I don't hunt anything here, but I, you know, I have listened to, you want to be surprised to hear Joe Rogan podcasts, but he's had some very <laughs> interesting people on Andrew that, you know, would defend it. And I, I would urge you just to put aside your own, you know, ideas there. No, because... that's, I am kind of, I'm kind of defending it. I'm not defending it. In his defense, it's not always a bad thing. Uh, and there is reasons behind it. But that being said, I'm not, I'm not saying trophy hunting and all of this is good. I'm just, I'm just standing up a bit for the other side of the argument there. No, 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 I know. And I haven't listened to Joe Rogan, but I'm not, I wasn't criticizing it. I was defending, I was saying that's part of the, the culture over there. And he's, he's killing the meat to, he's killing the animals to eat the meat. I'm not, I don't want to get into a, a debate about, you know, ki- killing animals here. Cause he's not, he's not doing, he's not going to the Serengeti and shooting a giraffe. He's, he's killing for meat. Brian Harmon's killing for meat. I never thought we'd be talking about that. God almighty. I've been hunting once in my life. What? Get out of here. Yeah. Right. So this was in the Lake District and it was hunting with hawks. And I kind of thought, well, this is fair because when a rabbit comes out of its out of its um, warren. Um, <laughs> out of its little house. It, it, it has it naturally has to think that a hawk might come down and eat me. Yeah. So it's a fair contest. Right. So we I went with a friend and we went to this um, very uh isolated cottage in the lake district and and there were two blokes there and uh they then said uh right we'll go and get the ferrets then i said ferrets what what did they say (laughs) (laughs) we'll go get the ferrets then where's bruce forsyth coming in on this story (laughs) (laughs) i would be amazed again to this cottage and bruce forsyth suddenly appears pressure pressure (laughs) right so and I'm like, why? Why are we getting ferrets? And they said, Oh no, the ferrets go down, go down into the uh, go down to the warren <laughs> and flush the rabbits. And I'm like, suddenly I'm thinking, Hang on, this isn't fair. This isn't fair to the to the rabbits. Oh. Anyway, it then transpired that one of the we were with two Harris hawks, and one of them wasn't match fit and was too slow. The other one <laughs> suffered from vertigo. Jason Day. <laughs> A Harris Hawk. <laughs> so, so sorry, sorry, sorry. So, you've got a hawk that suffered from vertigo. Yes, this is my point. And I, I wouldn't go above shoulder height. So they were useless, these hawks. And we're tramping around beautiful countryside in the Lake District. And then I accidentally flushed a rabbit out of a hedge. Mm. It it scooted across and the, the, the fat hawk just dropped on it and killed it. And 
that was it. That was I the only thing. Realize one of the hawks it, was overweight. What the? Yeah, fat no, I just hawk. said it wasn't match fit. Oh right, not listening to me. You're doing all your silly jokes. Sorry, I thought you were saying that it was just wasn't match fit. That it, you know, it was a heavy was smoker fat. or something like that. But you didn't say it was overweight, <laughs> so it just dropped and killed it by sheer weight. And then Bruce yeah. Forsyth appears and goes, "Bad game, bad game." And uh, I don't know. See, I, I wasn't willing to do the impression. Good. Um, I like that. So it was my fault. But the point of the story is that I was feeling really bad about all this because we've got ferrets going down these these warrens. And I, it was ultimately my fault that I flushed the rabbit that got killed. And I, you know, I just felt so bad about that. It's not a fair contest. See, if Brian no. Harmon were to take on some elk, which he talks about, can I be date on mano a mano? Uh, Harmon at Elko it wrestling or something like that just just naked combat not naked I mean again what that's weird what a weird image Brian Harmon wrestling an elk naked and uh, then that's fair but it, you, even if you step up to a bow and arrow that's artificial assistance so hi I'm Colin Montgomery and I'm crushing it on the peloton right now Good. Let's talk about Rory McIlroy because, uh, you know, of all the sort of chasers, he, I suppose Tommy Fleetwood as well, is taking most of the attention because people just willing Tommy Fleetwood to do it and McIlroy to end the, the long, long wait. So, I, I mean, is that peak McIlroy finishing fifth in a major, 12th, fifth play, uh, top five finish since he won at Kiowa in 2014? 20 top tens, putting, putting. Putting. I might be ready to join you guys on the frustration train. I uh, hate saying this as a fellow player and as somebody that is nowhere near as good as Rory, but and Tommy, and I would add Tommy into this. Those watching those two this week uh, reminded me of watching Sergio and Lee Westwood before Sergio got his major. And, you know, both absolutely brilliant ball strikers. Rory's obviously got four majors, um, but... I just worry for them both, probably McIlroy and Fleetwood moving forward, unless they can find a way of holding the crucial putts, the right times in major championships, they just aren't going to win the major championship. And ball striking is is the, the thing that underpins winning major championships. There's no doubt about that. And Brian Harmon showed that. But on top of that, you do need to be able to hold the putts at the right time. And it was just very, very frustrating watching both those guys. I, I actually think Tommy will be more the most disappointed player uh, leaving Hoy Lake of of anyone um, personally, but you know, moving forward, Rory has got to definitely. I heard someone say he's got to be more clinical. I think David Howell said that last night on TV. He's got to be more clinical with his short irons and uh, and with his putting at the end of the day to win these major championships. And um, I know it's you know, hey, listen, I haven't won any, so he knows a lot more about it than me. But that would be my view well, as a, as a as a as a viewer. Yeah, I followed Rory in the first round and I think there were two bogeys from the middle of the fairway off imperious drives with wedges into into the green. And Nick Faldo says it all the time, doesn't he, that it's it's that proximity with the wedges that that is an issue. But he, you're right, it's making those putts at the key time. And, you know, I've been saying it all all season that that those players that win just go out there and get the job done and, and and are efficient on the greens, ruthlessly efficient. And that is clinical is the word, isn't it? And that is what is lacking uh, from him to be able to capitalize on, you know, just the most like ball striking from the gods. And he, oh, but it's twas ever thus. And, and with each year that passes without a major, now we're going to be talking about a decade and I'm, you know, my heart's already sinking about what we're going to be saying and when we build up to the Masters. I'm like talking to myself. I'm thinking, I'm not going to mention him. I'm not going to mention him in the build up to the Masters. I'll have to, but I just don't want to. It's so, um, you know. I think Scotty Scheffler's a really good example of it this year. I mean, he's clearly been the best player in the yeah. world. His ball striking statistics are just off the charts, right? Statistically, Justin Murray would pull this up. I think second maybe to one year of Tiger Woods is best. That's how good he's playing, and yet he still hasn't won a major. It just shows that you have to putt well to win a major. You have to hold those putts. And, you know, these guys, Rory and probably Tommy too, if if they can just find a way of holding those putts, they are going to Cam win. Young. Cam Young too. I mean, Cam Young's got a really interesting game to me. I, I, I really like watching him. I think he's got an incredible swing. But he tends to hit the odd shot that's particularly wild, putting poorly as well. Um, 
you know, I, I, I wonder what some of his feels are and how they would stand up under pressure, hitting the shots that require to be hit at times. But uh, yeah, again, it's, it's a very modern player, you know, hits the ball amazing, but those putts and they, all three of them, I think Roy's, Roy does look quite comfortable now when he putts. When I watch Cam Young putt, I don't, I don't think his stroke looks that comfortable, free flowing. Um, and that would worry me a bit. Mm. Couple of other storylines. Uh, so Jason Day has now got the runner-up Grand Slam. Uh, he's finished second in all four of the majors now. Uh, Matthew Jordan, what a great story that was! And there's a guy who was enjoying it and embracing the just everything about the Open Championship. And I think you know when you're playing in fr- at your home club um, in front of all those people again, that just you know Tommy Fleetwood talked about the support he was getting. I think sometimes that can maybe. It could maybe suffocate you a little bit because you want to do, you want so much to to do it for everyone else as well as yourself. But he just loved it. He was smiling all the time, Matthew Jordan. It was, I think, it was tenth in the end. Um, and mm. a great finish, and and then there was great footage of him going into the clubhouse afterwards, uh, which was up on social media. I think Royal Liverpool uh, Golf Club posted it themselves. And um, yeah, that was uh, that's something he'll remember for the rest of his days. That was the feel-good story, wasn't it, of this Open Championship? The fact that we we signposted it beforehand because he qualified and then he justified his qualification top 10. He'll be at Troon as a result of that next year. And actually, one thing that occurred to me was when he took his his um, cap off to acknowledge the applause of the, of the crowd, um, I suddenly realised that was the first time I'd ever seen him without a cap on his head. And... Um, and given that I'd also gone to Big Al's Barbers, which is his local barbers here in Hoylake the, last week, um, it suddenly occurred to me that they are fantastic hairdressers. I mean, his hair is beautifully, beautifully coiffed. Big Al's hairdressers in uh, in Hoylake. So barbers, barbers, barbers. Yeah, barbershop, barbershop Ooh. quartet. Um, uh, a couple of other stories that, I mean, the silver medal for leading amateur, well, there was only one who made the cut, Christo Lamprecht, leading after the first round and then headed south, headed to South Africa at a massive rate with a 79 in the second round. But that got him in for the weekend right in the mark. And, and so well done to the big man. Alex Fitzpatrick, what about that? Uh, tied 17th, outscoring Matt Fitz. He was enjoying it. They seem like um, they, they're very different characters, aren't they? Uh, Alex and Matt. Alex seems really just life is a joy, and Matt, although the better player, and I love Matt Fitzpatrick as well as a as a person personality. But by God, he's uh, he. You would never um, you would never be in the dark about about his mood, Matt. He doesn't like the Open very much. I don't think he doesn't like the the challenge too much. Actually, it was at Hoylake where um, Alex played in the Walker Cup. And I remember being here and we were walking around the course and Matt was in the gallery as well. And we were chatting with him and someone said to Matt, uh, has, has Alex ever beaten you at golf? And, and, and I've never seen him answer a question so quickly. Never, never. He's never beaten me. Never beaten me. And, yeah. and that just that story just came back into my head, obviously, when uh, uh, Alex ended up beating his major winning yeah. brother on his Open debut. Yeah, now he has. Uh, there are big names battling for the cut on Friday. Um, Scheffler, Cantley, DeChambeau, Cam Smith, all right on the mark. So that provided some drama there on the Friday night. Um, uh, highest live player, I've written this down for some reason. Um, Henrik Stenson, tied 13th at three under. Laurie Cantor just behind. Henrik Stenson, uh, I walked a few holes with him in practice and he was talking about how he's 47 now. He said three more years and then he's going to sail off on a catamaran, he said. Catamaran. He's quite specific about the boat he's going to get. So a catamaran, uh, and throw all his clubs into the sea. So, um, so no champions golf for Henrik, but you know he can still play. He can. That explains a lot, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he can still play. Uh, and it's good to see Laurie do well. You know, I know Laurie's been playing a bit better. I've speaking to him a bit privately. Um, and he did play pretty well last week. I think he was best driver of the field uh, for four days. So. Um, and he's also been using the Pro Sender. So sorry to bring it back to the Pro Sender, but more Pro Sender chat. Has he? See, I know we yeah. got, you got, because you're great mates with Sean Foley, uh, or you just know him. And so there was a, you got us a, a code for discount. I haven't taken advantage of it yet, because even with the discount, the shipping to the UK is pretty, is pretty heavy. So, so you didn't, did you not try the code? Did you not enter the code correctly? 
I, I gave him the code. I couldn't find. I know. I know you gave me the code. I couldn't find the place to put in the code. What was the code, Ian? We can't get. We can't mention the code here because then everyone will use it. Who's listening, won't they? Yeah. I, I think he'll be fine. Um, and and that, and let's face it. I think we should reward our loyal listeners, so we should share the code. Oh wait, no, we've got to get Sean Foley's agreement for that first. Surely, that no, no, he'll be fine. He'll be fine with it. He'll he'll absolutely be fine with it, won't he, Eddie? Yeah, absolutely. You can share it in. Really? Yeah, what, what, I can't remember what it was now. It's something. It's something about call it Fat Harris Hawk. I think was the code. No, Letitia's right foot. Oh God. Was it really Leticia's right foot? Well, there you go. If you go on, if you go on ProSender, and you can get because um, uh, uh, we this this all came on our on our WhatsApp group, and the boss of the of of Folding Pocket came on. He went, "Was Eddie joking about the uh, about the, uh, the the code?" <laughs> I'm going to get one. I'm going to try one because I'm going to get back into. It's been three weeks, two weeks of Wimbledon, a week of the Open, so I haven't um, apart from apart from New Malden. I took mine to Ibiza. I wasn't around the pool with it. I con- I contemplated it, and I thought that would look ridiculous. With uh, there were thongs everywhere, and uh, Eddie's there's Eddie with his pro sender <laughs> on his right hand. That just would have, oh dear. Well, do you know what they look like a little bit? They look like the gauntlets that you wear to have a hawk land on your hand, and uh, and then fly away to catch something. Yeah. So maybe it could double up as that. You could head up to the Lake District and find Bruce Forsyth in his cottage and go hunting with your pro sender on. Uh, a couple of things to oh Michael Stewart I want to mention Michael Stewart as well he tied fifty second in the end but this was his open debut he's had some struggles over the years and was uh, sort of contemplating giving up golf but um, Michael from Trin I played loads of junior golf with with Michael yeah but you must have yeah exactly so he played Walker Cup twenty eleven and... I played I've had many great duels with Mike he's a you know feisty player great you know, yeah. classic typical Scottish player reminds me of you Andrew just a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I played with him in the Trin Links one year, and we both shot the same score in the first round, Loch Green. Uh, all right, silly, that's how it is in my memory now. But I think we did. The, oh, by the way, Loch Green, if you want to get a good handicap, join join Trun Welbeck and Trun or Trun St. Meadens and play Loch Green. Not the Darley. Darley's an absolute brute. Uh, great course, just surrounded by school and things like that. But Loch Green is, the, is par 74 with par fives that are about... 320 yards long. I mean, exaggerating. It's a good course, but it's a, a friendly one. But then I NR'd in the second round in Portland. So, <laughs> uh, so oh dear. Anyway, I was, I was pleased to see him uh, there making the cut and just falling away a little bit in the final final round. But, you know, he's playing regularly on the Challenge Tour now, so he's come back to it. So there we are. Hopefully, hopefully he can do it. Our, our predictions, uh, Ian, who did you? I couldn't yes. remember who you predicted for the week. Well, I switched from Cam Smith to Rory McIlroy, didn't I? And I'm not doing that ever, ever, ever again. All right. No, no still offense. Had a, to... Still a decent finish, though. Yeah, I know, but no offense to Rory. Um, you know, and I have, uh, in all honesty, I have just the utmost sympathy going back to to the point because it, it does weigh so heavily on him, and we in the media are always sucked into the Rory chat in the way that we were always sucked into the the Tiger chat and. To Eddie's point, right at the start of this pod, we have to start taking much more notice of the Brian Harmons of this world if we're going to accurately portray what men's professional golf is really like. Ian, does that mean Rory's not talking to you next year either? I mean, how long does well, the Rory? Yeah, yeah, and and, and yeah, and and yeah, and let's call that out as as well. Um, to not do a preview uh, interview, I thought was really poor. To blow off the reporters at the end of what was it is <laughs> I knew someone would snigger to ignore the media uh what was it after his third round and when it became obvious he wasn't going to win. I'm sorry, you've got to be better than that as a as a highly paid professional athlete. You know, you go to Wimbledon, they're under contract. They're under contract, win or lose to to speak. And I think that it should, and I'm sure that they are considering it, making it a condition of entry, that if you're asked to do interviews, you do them at the Open. Mm. Yeah, no, fair enough. Sorry, Eddie, Eddie looked like he had a point there. He was leaning into his microphone, but I think you were going to say something about how he was compensating the reporters at the end, and then you decided against it. So. No, 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 it wasn't a joke. I had a question. Uh, were, were you involved with the John Rahm uh, scene on the Thursday when he was furious? Because I know, obviously, he was talking about all the, well, hangers on's a bit of a, maybe derogatory term because I know you're not a hanger on, but who, who was, who was in his way? Cause I would not have wanted to have been in John Rahm's way. I was, I was close. Um, I, the, the bit that I saw was on the 15th. 
to the 16th and he he finished and i think rory must have been you know finishing up and he walked from the 15th green to the spectator walkway or the gap in the spe- between the spectators which is how he would access the 16th tee and we all stand there because we're not going to obscure any spectators views by standing there to commentate and he literally he stood right next to me and he was muttering away and i was like i've got geez i've got a i'm just going to say what i can see and just get out of here and and i just scarper i always try and get out of the way of the players but it 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 is mayhem inside the ropes there the open is the worst for the amount of people inside the ropes and a big thing like that a big a big group like that i mean but I actually think you know it adds to the it adds to the earthiness of the open. It adds to the magic of the open. I'm not just saying that because I'm in the lucky position of having an armband to be inside those ropes. It, it it's busy and it you know the the TV directors want everything to be clean and the corporate branding and all of that kind of thing to be showing. But I like the fact that it's down and dirty, open, and people are scrambling around and trying to watch it from the best vantage points and. Down, down and dirty, blowing off. You've had quite the week in Liverpool. Tremendous. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Eddie, who did you who did you pick? I can't remember who you picked. I picked Colin Morikawa, which I was devastated about when he hit his right. second shot OB on the, I think it was the third or the fourth, third hole. I think on the first day, I was worried early, early doors. It was a bad pick. So he was one of the names who was battling to make the cut. He just missed it, didn't he? Uh, I picked, so I think Ian's won this. <laughs> See, I got confused. I picked Ricky Fowler. And I was doing a chat with, um, a chat during the Open with uh, Minji Lee, who was there cheering on Minwoo. Was, was this um, with, with corporate people present? Good people, corporate people. And um, we were talking about picks and, uh, and I said, oh, I picked Ricky Fowler and he missed the cut. And she said, I just saw him finishing on 18. This was on the Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, good. Good knowledge. I didn't realize that he had... uh, Because I saw him take an eight on the first hole, on the last hole in the first round. And I kind of wrote him off there. But he made it right on the number of the cut. And he actually finished about 20th. So a decent finish for Ricky Fowler. I think he's he's fully back now. But Ian wins with his his also left field bet of Rory McIlroy. Uh, so yeah, with a sixth place, a fifth place finish, Ian gets the the chipping forecast bragging rights for for this week. And of course, that will last all the way till the Masters now, won't it? Well, I mean, that's the thing about this. That's another Open Championship done. That's another men's major season done. I'm glad we've got the Ryder Cup to look forward to in the men's game because it doesn't it doesn't feel right now that the majors are done by July. It feels that there's a lot of the year to go. There's a lot of summer still to go, and on the men's side of things. You're looking to suddenly playoffs, you know, and there's a big gap in the European Tour now. You know, this I suppose this window is really for uh, you've got the, the the on the women's side of things now. You've got the Evian, which shouldn't be a major, but is, and then you've got the Scottish, and then you've got the the proper one, the Women's British Open at Walton Heath, which I'm looking forward to. But um, on the men's side of things, I don't, I, would, I don't like the USPGA being in May. I would, I would still like it to be um, a little bit later. Yeah, the break on the European Tour was actually uh, requested from the players last year after a summer break. And I think we've now all decided that that was a waste of time and we all want to play some more tournaments. So, uh, again, never listen to golfers and what they want. Um, Lynn Grant, is Lynn Grant going to win the uh, the Open at Walton Heath? Is she, is she who, who I should be picking? I hope so. I really, really like uh, watching Lynn Grant play her golf. I think she's got a, plays an amazing brand of, of golf and... Uh, when I spoke to her at the the women's PGA, I thought she was a really, really impressive character as as much as anything. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing her Solheim Cup debut as well in September. Yeah. Leona Maguire, I'll, I'll go for. But but the Evian, I can do without that. I refuse to accept that as yeah. a major. If you have one more, if you have five majors, it just dilutes the four majors. Like Brandel Chambly was talking about having another major in the men's game. Brandel's hot take. Um, anyway, no, 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 no. So no, no. I know we just touched on the Ryder Cup, but presumably Brian Harmon is is assured to be in that team now, isn't he? Yeah, he is pretty much assured. I mean, you can win a major. I mean, John Daly in '95 won the Open and didn't make the Ryder Cup team, but he is pretty much a, a lock now for the US Ryder Cup team. It, and he must play. And Zach Johnson must have been so impressed. 
especially on the Saturday when he played with Tommy Fleetwood and Fleetwood's getting all that raucous home support and it did not affect Brian Harmon in the slightest. Uh, That deadly putting stroke never wavered. And, um, you know, if you're looking for someone to go and do a job in an away match when you've got raucous home support, uh, that was the perfect uh, rehearsal for that. And um, he's going to be a big asset, I think, for the Americans. Right, we're going to uh, leave you now because there's plenty of Ryder Cup talk to come over the next uh, few months. Just one thing, one uh, bit of um, news that I wanted to to mention, and it's, it is sad news, but when I was growing up and I was a total golf addict, the Scottish Boys Championship was what you dreamed of playing in. And he used to televise it on STV. Um, in 1985, I was 12 years old, there was an old Trun Welbeck final of the Scottish Boys, and it was Andrew McQueen against Fraser McCulloch at Dunbar. And it was so exciting to have these two in the final. Andy McQueen won it on the on the 36th hole. Um, these guys were just heroes to me. I was just four years older, but they seemed like these gods who had made the final of the Scottish boys. And I found out yesterday that Fraser, um, again, just four years older than me, died this week. I was far, far too young. So I just wanted to mention that, as there will be some people listening who would remember and know Fraser, and um, our thoughts are very much with his with his family. Uh, it's very, very sad. But um, Fraser McCulloch, who, who died this week, so there we are, the Open's uh, done. And I would say as well that while we were at Hoylake, I lost count, well, I can't count very high, but I lost count of the number of people who were talking about the chipping forecast and saying hello and they enjoyed listening to it. So hope you continue to do so. It was uh, it was nice to be out there in the in the crowds and, and hearing that people were listening and enjoying these ramblings in. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, people came, came up to me. I had a lovely uh, message from someone yesterday walking down the 16th um and yeah 15th it was came up made a point tapped me on the shoulder to say how much he's enjoying listening uh to you guys and and a bit to me and um uh so yeah but it's brilliant and i just you know we we talked a, a lot negatively about the crowds one thing i would say there was a lot I like I loved in the crowd um here this week like you Andrew I came pretty much straight from from Wimbledon which is a completely different audience there compared with here and the vast you like you put a number on it of 99.7% and they were golfers and golf fans and there were no airs and graces about them and they were loving what they saw they didn't give that much love to Brian Harmon but elsewhere on the golf course they did and they witnessed, I, I'd be totally honest, I mean, one of the very, very best performances that we've ever seen at an Open Championship, I think, uh, you know, to win that by six shots in the way that he did. And I did, I enjoyed the the atmosphere for, for a lot of it, maybe not quite on the final day in terms of the level of support that Harmon should have really been sort of whipping up with the quality of his play. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it is as I say. We we enjoyed the Open Championship. It wasn't a classic, but it was a classic performance from Brian Harmon, and the crowds were ninety nine point seven percent. They were wonderful. All we need is a fat Harris Hawk to sit on the point three percent, and all <laughs> will be well. Eddie, what are you doing next then? If you're uh, if you're not playing in the DP World Tour, uh, just a few weeks at home, and I'm going to need to do a bit of practice. So I uh, decided to uh, leave for the time being my coach and just uh focus on things for my own a little bit um moving forward so we'll see how that goes and um yeah i'm i'm busy around once i start again through the end of the year send it send it with a pro sender there we are another mention well done sean cashing in um thanks very much guys we will speak again next week as we head into big time in women's golf and quieter time in men's golf but we'll be talking all things golf here on chipping forecast bye bye Oh, there's a rabbit over there. And that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Folding Pocket.